Welcome to the Optimalist Podcast, where we explore what it means to create an optimal future for humanity. I'm Sarah, your host through this examination of mindfulness, attention, focus, happiness, and motivation, all elements of human optimalism. So how do we cultivate them? This week, I talked with Jen Shirley, the uncommon principal entrepreneur. Jen coaches kids, parents, and educators about social, emotional, and learning skills strategies. Her expertise is in ADHD, behavior, and self-regulation, and personal development for kids is at the heart of what she teaches. One of the things that I love about Jen is her strong sense of mission and awareness of the world we live in. On her website, she explains, the needs of our kids have become more abundant and more extreme. This observation has led me to ask myself some tough questions about how we are currently doing things. Her mission is to build an ecosystem focused on developing kids who stand out, stand up, and make an impact on the world because of what they create or contribute, not what they consume. According to Jen, there's no place for complacency here. Listen as Jen and I start by discussing the difference between self-regulation and self-control, and then continue to explore everything from attention to perfectionism to loneliness. All this and more in my conversation with Jen. Have a listen. I'm pretty lucky in in the current position that I'm in because we're, uh, I think this is season 26 for me in public education. So it was time to look through a little bit of a different lens. And um, I was no longer enjoying being tied to a school full-time as the the go-to administrator, the go-to principal uh, in, in the day-to-day. So uh, I had an opportunity to step away from that, but still be inside the schools doing daily replacement work, which is, we could get into that a little bit later if you want to, but it's super awesome because I work in so many different types of configurations of buildings with so many different types of educators and meet all of the amazing kids we have here in Ottawa and um, do a lot of coaching, teaching, learning, mentoring, observation. So that's still the role that I do with my board as an employer. And that sort of turned into that it flipped my entrepreneurial brain a little bit too, because essentially what I'm doing is all of the things I was doing in my day-to-day role, I'm now being able to do sort of privately with parents and families who are maybe needing a bit more service and support for their kiddos who are having, you know, there's all kinds of learning difficulties that can happen and, and come about. So I've really been able to advise and consult there in a way that I, I if you had asked me all those years ago if I would have ever ended up here I would have yeah. laughed at you but uh, that's that's kind of where we are and where does your interest in in topics like self-regulation and attention come into that journey well to me self-reg is everything. In other words, if you've got students who are who who can't regulate their um behavior, emotions, all of that stuff, as we all know, there's no ability to access any kind of learning. 
So I always was that advocate for the student who was in difficulty, whether it be um, a behavior kid, a student that had a learning disability of some sort, a student with autism, whatever the case may be, I love the underdog. Mm -hmm. And I love trying to figure out what is this kid's backstory? Because we often miss what that backstory is. You know, we're, we're seeing the front end of the day to day response from the student. So, um, it just caused me to dig really deeply into regulation and social emotional learning uh-huh. and try to really understand First of all, what's going on from a biological point of view with these little brains because they're stressed and overwhelmed and how do how do we get to the point where calmness prevails and um uh-huh. really practicing that and modeling that with these kids because a lot of the time they don't really have anybody maybe maybe they do, maybe they don't have somebody in their corner advocating for that. Um, and then really trying to figure out like, why is this happening? What are we missing? What, what's this behavior trying to tell right. us? What's that unspoken sort of message, you know? Um, and what I've learned is there's a lot of overlap and similarities. The patterns, if we're, if we know to look for them are there. Um, you know, in other words, is it a Monday morning thing or a uh-huh. Thursday afternoon thing or? heading into the weekend. And then, of course, most kids aren't able to articulate what all of this means. So usually the big explosive behaviors or the avoidance or the withdrawal are usually connected to some big kind of an emotion that most of these kids can't, they can't process it. Right. They can't, um, they can't articulate it, right? right? So we're into big emotions like having their feelings hurt when they're rejected or embarrassed or humiliated or set up or excluded or or taunted you know all of these things where for them it's just a response of madness or sadness oh i like that yeah so yeah you like typically it's when a kid gets angry and explodes it's usually some underlying form of hurt mm-hmm. And it's really hard for us adults to remember that, number one, don't take it personally. Mm-hmm. Number two, that's what I mean. Like, what's really going on here to have caused that to occur for that little person? Yeah. So I, let's, I want to step back a, a tiny bit before we keep going there. And I, just because I know that a big important part of this is thinking about these concepts in t- not just in terms of our children but adults as well and thinking it's yeah huge. and thinking about and w- one of my favorite things is talking to educators who work almost primarily with adults i've had a couple of talks recently with people who train adults in social emotional learning and mindfulness and such and that is fascinating to me because that's their primary work is um you know sitting with a, with grownups and thinking about our own behavior and, um, you know, having to teach them about the way their brains work and how we can be super self-aware in order to help children be self-aware. And so many of us don't 
never learn how to do that and aren't and, and don't know how to help help kids point out those differences themselves. So I did want want to talk to you about that a little bit and if there's a difference between how we do approach self-regulation with adults and and kids and also maybe we could even before that start with what's the difference between um self-regulation and self-control okay let's start there um so i think people get those two terms so intermixed a lot of the time they're they're confusing for a lot of folks and i think the most simplistic way to keep that straight is to me Self-regulation is a process to achieve the desired outcome of self-control. Interesting. So you you can't you can't get to a sense of calm or self-control without practicing all of the steps that are pertinent to you inside of self-reg. So and again, um the, the process of self-regulation, I think, is really a lot more brain-based as opposed to behaviorally based. Uh, the science has proven that when a kid or an adult, either one for this example, when someone is dysregulated, we know that their prefrontal cortex is on pause. Mm-hmm. That means that means that limbic brain, that very primal part of our brain that protects us from everything, you know, the typical freeze, flight, all of those things where um, that's our built-in protection mechanism, so to exactly. speak. So when that prefrontal cortex isn't accessible, limbic brain kicks in, and then the reasoning part is gone. So... I think what happens is self-regulation is really much more based in empathy. It's much more based in an awareness of all of those responses to stress that a person is possibly undergoing versus self-control, I think, is a lot more judgy. It's um uh, the idea of suppressing emotion mm-hmm. to a situation rather than learning how to navigate through it. Okay. That makes sense. And, and sometimes, sometimes it also leads to punishment, mm-hmm. right? People equate lack of control with having to be punished, which is not at all the concept behind self-reg. That's interesting because that's um, something that we're talking about on our team at Focusable a lot right now is the difference between when we use the word focus and when we use the word attention. And I think that, yes, they do mean slightly different things, but focus often um, turns people off because they don't quite understand that it's more than a command. Um, We're used to it being turned into something like, you have to focus now. Why can't you focus? Whereas attention, I can perhaps talk to or just even mention to a group of kids or or group of adults, like, let's work on having better attention today. And there's a, a, an approachable, you know, I, I think kind of tone to that that's no less important than than using the word focus, but there's something where you've taken the control aspect away where it doesn't sound like it is a Uh, like a requirement where you have to only focus to do your work. Attention can apply to everything, not just sitting down and doing something serious. Like where's your attention right now? Is it, is it focused? 
And that it's so I feel like there's a similar thing there as to what you're what you're explaining. Yeah, I I I agree and I can totally see that because often the the edge you speak, right, Sarah? Mm-hmm. We we get caught up in it and we forget often we're not always dealing with people who understand things in the same context that we do. Right. So context here matters a ton. So I I get your point about the focus and attention for sure. And how often I might be going on my own uh, little side tangent here too, while we're still kind of defining terms here. No problem. Um, But you're talking a lot so far about self-regulation and especially in terms of students or kids it in terms of them what are triggering factors and what the underlying cause and there's always something behind it and I'm wondering if in your work or studies today you do see things that also talk about what students are I mean people of any age really are now doing all of the time and I'm thinking like social media wise like where does self where does the story of self-regulation also come into us thinking about how technology affects us and affects the brain and and affects our attention is is that part of the self-reg story at all um or is it more about underlying like deeper underlying issues I I actually think it's it's a bit of both okay to answer your question Uh so in regards to the whole tech component which i have a feeling that will flow through our conversation here as we go Uh i i think we because it's always in our back pocket we allow things to hijack us emotionally in a way that normally might not happen if we didn't have access to that type of tech in such a quick response time so frequently and so consistently. Right. So here's what I mean by that. And this will tie into uh, what you mentioned earlier about self-reg in adults. A lot of the work that I do with educators is exactly that. Getting the adult in the room to understand that they are the game changer in front of their kids. And how they respond and reply is incrementally vital to the tone, the culture that they create inside the classroom. So I will say to staff all the time, what's your, what are your boundaries for tech with your spouse? Just as a really legit example or with your kids, your own kids. So, you know, a classroom teacher is a parent. Let's say she has a 12 year old child. And does the student have, does the child have free will to text and and expect a response during mom's instructional day? Right. Particularly if the morning routine was bumpy and they had a bit of a blow up before school and it's now carrying over, 150% for sure that exchange is causing mom, the teacher who's now flipped her role from being a parent to an educator, that is absolutely having an impact versus how she's working with her own students at that time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that ability to pause, 
to delay, to put those boundaries in place and to be like, okay, no, hang on a minute. I'm really ticked off about something that happened with my own kid. And now I've just blasted this group of kids in front of me and it wasn't at all relevant to the why. Right. So that those kinds of things happen all the time because uh, as you know, our lives now, personal and professional, are so messy and blurry and Mixed. overlap. Yes. And the argument you had at home is now accessible in your pocket. You could you easily it. text your mother and say, hey, <laughs> um, you, and it, it's it. not left. And there's something valuable with leaving that at the door. Um, yeah. You're going to be back later. Um, you don't need to carry those those things with you throughout the day. And the same thing with bringing things from school. Absolutely. And I I think that's a real skill. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's part of attention, right? Can we leave one thing in this moment, move to the next moment, and then come back when we need to? Absolutely. The, The ability to park something and know that you you have the, I don't know if the word is discipline or composure, or I suppose it's total... Um, it's even just an ability to access, right? To access it. it. Yeah, that's it. It's it's really important. And I think we're falling deeper and deeper into that trap a little bit because uh, the, the conversation about how those two things are kind of colliding and running into each other all the time. We're not really talking about that enough, particularly with our adults and, and our, you know, educators inside the building, because we really have a chance to really temper that and bring the bring the whole temperature down if we know, okay, I can just park the upset text and it's not relevant for right now. Right. And and sometimes you have, you know, what often fuels us to go backwards to things that we could leave for the moment is, especially if they have to do with communication with others, is we worry yeah. about what other people will think. You know, well, what if I don't respond right away? And that is yeah. something that we didn't have before carrying around this stuff with us everywhere, the technology everywhere with us. You know, we didn't have to think about what if I don't reply to my brother before lunch? You know, like yeah. we just didn't have, you know, you wouldn't have thought you would have just called him later. And I know these are things that we all know, but I don't, I don't think that we really reflect on their direct influence on so much of our daily behavior and thoughts um, really enough. And if we do, we're not doing being proactive enough to really change that the way we react, because um, it really does that. I wanted to go back quickly to the situation you described before of bringing something emotional from your home life into the classroom and that you've just like reacted in front of a, a group of kids and it, it's yeah. bringing like a moment of unnecessary suffering to yourself as well because now what your nervous system's all messed up um you got it everything shifts as soon as that happens the energy in the room shifts every kid is shifted and then you know part of regulation is not being perfect i think but even recognizing when you've done that and being able to pull and cool that energy back down um, and I yeah. think people who are skilled at it are not people who never lose their cool. They're people who even realize that and can rectify that in the moment. That's a skill in itself, I think. Yeah, you, you've nailed it. That the people who are the most self-aware, I think, really understand their intention versus their impact here. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and 
that's a really hard thing to always have at the forefront of your mind, especially when you're dealing with so many different personalities. I mean, the, the, the other example here that comes to mind a lot is, uh, when, when ed, the educator receives a, a grumpy or angry or accusatory email from a parent. Yes. Right. Right. So you're, you're reading that what on your device in front of your kids while they're transitioning in the classroom from one activity mm-hmm. to the next. Oh boy. Like buckle up <laughs> because, um, number one, I don't think it's the time or place. Number two, it is not necessary. No. And you're, you're causing again, causing yourself an unnecessary moment of suffering. You didn't need to 100%. do it. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And all of those and now like a ton of examples like that are coming in because we all do them. And, and I think it, it takes, it, it takes a lot of practice, I think, to, to become someone that recognizes that, that they're doing it often enough that they can, and, and that they still can pull back and that this is the reason why they didn't feel good. Um, yeah. or why do I not feel good all day? It's because I did X, Y, and Z. And there's simple things that it's, it's really amazing that the, this, how important the self-awareness is before you can really commit to the self-regulation. It, it's, it's completely changes everything. Yeah. Um, I love that. I was like scrambling some notes there while you were talking. I love that intention versus impact, um, piece, the way you put that. Yeah. Right. Um, sometimes they don't match and we're like, Oh, darn. That's not at all what I wanted to achieve here. And I blew it. Yeah. And so maybe we could then go back to, I know we talked, now we've kind of gone in and out of conversation a little bit, but that's totally cool. Um, the, the piece about adults and kids, and is there a difference in the way we talk to adults about this stuff? If it's not familiar to them, is there a difference yeah. in the way we teach them about self-regulation and so, like, do they come in with preconceived notions about it um and and is it you know what is it that makes it difficult for adults i'm not i'm not sure we're doing a good enough job yeah. with the adults right now if i'm being totally honest with that you i hear that I from mean, a lot yeah yeah i i think that's really where we can have the most impact and in a positive way for students um and getting people to really understand that it's okay to naturally have those highs and lows throughout the course of the day. And what I'm really interested in talking to people about is, number one, do you recognize that this is happening to you? Number two, if you do recognize it, awesome. Now, what systems or boundaries can we put in place so that some of these things go on autopilot for you? And you just know that you've put these sort of guardrails in place where you're really you're really going to have to remember that they're there and why you put them there in the first place cuz when you mess up they're going to kind of catch you. I'll give mm-hmm. you an example of what I mean. Okay. Um I see adults running around schools at the speed of light. Even the simple act of saying to a staff member, "Hey, like you're almost in a jog down the hallway. Why are you doing that?" Mm. So let's slow that down. So there's a really simple example. The, the other thing that I talk to staff about a lot is, do they come to work prepared? And this sounds ridiculous, but it's a game changer. So 
if you've left the house and you've had only a cup of coffee and you haven't had any uh, food, you're not fueling anything nutritionally throughout the course of the morning. And now you realize you're starving. So you're hopping in your car, you're sprinting up to the local coffee shop or sandwich place, and then you're rushing back. There's never a moment to rest or recover Mm -hmm. from the first instructional block that you just put behind you. Yeah. So, and and for me, that that leads a little bit in, it's a huge deal, right? Yeah. And it's hard. It's hard to recover that even the next day. It, It sure is. You know, and, and when you point that out, most educators go, wow, I never even thought that mm-hmm. the mad rush to get up and back in during your planning time is contributing to the adrenaline. Oh, my at- goodness. You're bringing back flashbacks to me right now. <laughs> just describing it. I, I was telling um to to our listeners out there, I was talking to Jen a little bit before we pressed record about the fact that I was a teacher for 14 years in high school, and which is super fast paced and, and, and uh, you know, changing classes throughout the day. But when I yep. hear you describe that, I'm instantly brought back to, I can tell you two things. One of the reasons that I was looking to leave the classroom was I wanted to find a healthier way to live a day. Like literally that feeling of how do I, how do I, how do I not feel like I'm constantly anxious? Um, yeah. And I just didn't know. I had none of these tools, didn't know anybody practicing this stuff at all. And it seemed like every educator around me was just on that, like really in that mad rush, um, all of my friends. And it was just a race from the morning to the night. And then from Monday to Friday and from September to June, it was always, how do we get to the next part? Uh-huh. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh-huh. And it was just, I knew that feeling anxious all the time was just not normal. Um, yeah. Like I, my friends in other professions didn't live their days like that. Absolutely not. And, you know, I'm I'm the first person to tell you, let me show you how it does not have to be this way. No, it does not. It does not because there is so much value in in 10 minutes of rest throughout your workday away from your students. Uh And if it means you've got to get a little bit better at planning your lunch from the night before so you can have that clarity and have that ability to reset your nervous system, because that's really what we're talking about here. Yes, it is. I, I think there's so much value in those kinds of conversations. Because if we even go back to the day that the the stressful day that you were just describing where it's like it could be one incident at one point in the day and it just is like a domino effect throughout the rest of the day. And if that were a Monday or any day of the week, you know, that impacts the way you feel at the end of the day where maybe you do nothing that you wanted to do and you wind up crashing. And then yeah. you wake up the next day and you don't feel good about not you might be tired or there might be some some behavioral, uh, I mean, a physical um, way you're not feeling well because of that. But mentally, you're already waking up in a deficit yep. um, and depleted and maybe feeling bad about the way you ended the night before. And if we and then if you then go into that day with that same mindset, you're you're really at super high risk of just repeating that. And then we get into those cycles, right? Of just Absolutely. ending every day feeling like we're not accomplishing what we want. We're not 
doing doing what we think we're capable of. We're not meeting our the requirements that we think we need to for our classes. For I mean, everything it impacts everything, and then um, yeah. that's where the overwhelm begins. And it's it literally can start with that with just a busy Monday morning. And Sarah, I mean, I think we can both agree. Our students sense that mm-hmm. comment a million miles away. Yes. They they feel the vibe. They're like, oh, boy, mm-hmm. I don't know how it's going to go today because the RPMs are high <laughs> and it's only 1030 in the morning. And it's so hard to get out of that once they've sensed yeah. it. You got it. You got it. So, um, yeah, I think there's so much more we can do there to support folks with building those skills towards self-regulation in adults because if you have the ability to remain calm through the madness and the chaos, it it is revolutionary in how uh, you, you enter and view the profession. And one more thing I'll point out before we move on from that is something that just occurred to me, maybe also in a flashback from my <laughs> teaching life, <laughs> is that I think what I often would see emerge, at least in my experience, was that those those of us that were in that state of kind of moving quickly from one point to the next were were often mixed there were a lot of different types but but were often mixed in with people who were seen as the hard workers and higher achievers and then people who were not feeling like that were in this camp where they've kind of kind of just decided I'm not going to pay attention to all of the nonsense and I'm just going to do my job the best as I can and lee and they were often seen as there was no middle. It was like you were go, 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 like always anxious, or you were just kind of like there and doing and, and, and just kind of going with the flow because you didn't want to be, I don't even know how to describe it. I'm probably describing it really well, but anytime I mention this to other teachers, they know what I'm talking about. And there was no ground of like what we're the middle part, what we're trying to get at is people who were, there were very little people that were able to seem like they were healthy and they're doing great work and approaching their their job and their life in a healthy way. Um, but also, you know, I, I, I don't know, am, am I, is that resonating at all? Yeah, definitely. Those two extremes are there, yeah. especially, you know, if the, if the personality trait is one person's extroverted, the other is an introvert. Mm-hmm. And because the, you know, that whole introvert personality doesn't jive with the, the rah, rah rush of the day. I, I think it's a very, very different experience for people. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, trying to put yourself in, in that person's shoes is really the only way you can sort it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not an easy thing to do. No way. So, so difficult. Yeah. And, and so now I wanted to kind of talk, let, let's see if we can do this well. I think that we, I think that we can. I'm going to push a lot of our our favorite concepts here together. So one thing that you had mentioned to me in the last couple of weeks or so when we were doing some brainstorming for this conversation was self-regulation was always kind of the main the main focal point of what we would talk about. But you did mention the influence of self-reg on things like focus and attention, um, transitions and pacing and learning, literally everything leading up to loneliness. And I don't want, I'm not saying let's go through every one of these right now, one by one, but I guess just even starting with how does self-regulation influence 
some of these aspects that really, I mean, if you set, you can separate it from school and it's really just all of the facets of our lives, focus, attention, transitioning, dealing with change, right? Yeah. I love that you brought in pacing and, and speed as well. And then, and then learning. And I even added in my notes next to where you had talked about loneliness as part of this. I, I put that together with our ability to, um, be connected and the connect. 100%. So, or the connectedness or lack of connectedness of our world today. Uh, you know, we're tricked into thinking we're kind of really connected, but, but you have to put effort into getting real meaning out of that. And so now that I've said all of that, what's the answer? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Let me, let me have a go at this. Okay. Let me have a go. I, I do. I think they're all interwoven. And um, I think a couple of things happen. We, we get on this cycle, this flywheel, where the rush, the speed... That is the first thing that causes us to become dysregulated. Mm -hmm. it, it can be one of the first things that causes that to go. And through our ability to not slow, our inability to slow down, because we are not consciously saying, oh, things are coming way too quickly today. I need to deliberately slow my role here. Right. That causes a lapse in our attention. It causes a spike in our dysregulation because the anxiety starts to creep due to pressure of time and pressure of not having enough minutes in a day to get things done the way we had hoped to get things done. Mm -hmm. So that whole idea of not just getting started, but having to do it perfectly well, which is a topic for another time. Mm -hmm. Um. So I do, I, I think, I think we transition as adults really, really poorly. And even, even in the four minutes between classes, and this is something I read from Brendan Bouchard, who wrote High Performance Habits. Oh, I, I don't love know him. If you know yeah, that. I love him. Yeah, me too. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'll never forget it because. Even in those three or four minutes, there is opportunity to recover from one hectic activity to the next. So that could mean walking from the car into the building, walking from phys ed to your homeroom, walking from the third floor to the second floor. The whole point is for you to be like, okay, I can't control or do anything about what happened 40 minutes ago. I'm going to allow the, these 250 steps or whatever it is to consciously reset and shift and, and move my body and prepare for what's coming next. So I do, I think, I think we, we don't focus on that enough for the grownups. I think we love the idea of speed because we confuse we confuse motion for action and action for motion. And we're into this whole sense of, well, I gotta, I just gotta go because I'm, I'm looking busy, which means I yeah. must be busy. And the more we, the more we learn and grow about this, the more we understand that actually slowing everything down is absolutely the way the, the gateway to getting really deep quality work mm -hmm. 
and and being able to have that attention to detail be where it needs to be. Yes, and even I think it even helps you when you're even in those moments of or sessions of deep work or deep thinking or deep collaborating, it helps you even be able to put put an end to those sessions and not yeah. think you have to spend four hours. Um, you know, do I have to spend four hours? Does studying well mean I spend four hours studying for my math test? Um, likely oh. not. That that does not mean you're studying hard that, you know, and so Correct. I think that's part of it is like when I when you do experience that extreme ability to extremely slow down, you know, you are doing that thing of taking each moment and leaving, you know, you're you're paying attention to what you're doing at this time. And that means you're going your brain is not I love that you just the question you just put you um put forth before of asking what's coming next. Um, I don't even know if you meant to formally ask that, but to me, that would work for me. It it works it works for me too, right? I yeah. Mean, if you think about how many times throughout the course of a day we switch tasks or have to switch context yes. in from a brain point of view, mm-hmm. it's, it's it's a thousand times. Yeah, and we add to that, right? We add to that cognitive load by by giving ourselves a million tasks that are not important. So like Correct. right now, I am probably thinking about five, like, you know, my Twitter inbox and my, I'm not really thinking <laughs> about that. I want to go look at it, but because it's a part of the work that I do, like those little things are always somewhere and they're yeah. not even part of the, some of like the normal natural context switching. And we, so we add like all of these things, everything always comes back to technology like you said at the beginning we'll probably talk about it a lot but it really yeah. is a part of it because it's it's something that we have invented and put into our own hands and have said we need and um and we've said all the things all the things that we have in that are things that we need you know and and we but at the same time we also know that it's way too much it's way too much and and i i love you brought that up again because it's also one of the things I coach um, educators on. So a stupid thing is how are your notifications set on your phone? And and by that, yeah. you know, a lot of our educators have their quote unquote business email on their devices. So I'll say, well, do you have those notifications enabled? Uh, my recommendation is that you don't. Right. Instead of having those notifications on your device pushed to you all the time, I prefer to go retrieve them when I'm ready and I'm in the right time, place, headspace, frame of mind to go seek them out and pull them. And then I decide what I want to do with them. Mm-hmm. That That's just a, a little example of a, of a small thing you can do. Go, you know, I call calling the shots on your own terms as opposed to someone else dictating yes. the interruption to your focus. And that to me is part of self-regulation, right? Knowing yep. that you have you have that ability to do so. It's not necessarily, I mean, I was doing another interview earlier where we talked a lot about the phrasing of um, how how we pay attention. Like it's something that we literally are giving away. Yeah. And that it's, we we have like this, this ability to cultivate an infinite amount of it, but we place it and or give it to things or people that that do not need it. (laughs) 
Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, we need it. We need that attention and we need to decide, you know, and I like thinking of the word attention, even replacing the word time in a way, like it's not time that we're running out of or like, where did that hour go? It's really, you should think like, oh my gosh, where did my attention go? Absolutely. Because that's what, it's like such a huge power for us is our attention. And we, we just squander it um, to, to anything. What you said, I love, you use the term squander. Yes. And to me, that is so powerful because the, the, the time component, the attention component, there isn't any more allowable time in a 24 hour period in a day. Right. So when you set a, set out a dedicated amount of time to complete a task and you've, for lack of a better term, squandered away that dedicated time. Now you're, you're, you're behind the eight ball. You're, you're now feeling anxious because you, oh darn, I got caught. I'm down the rabbit hole of, this tech over here that I wasn't supposed to be looking at in the first place. And now you're beating yourself up. Yes. Because <laughs> you're, you've fallen into the trap yet again, right? Yes. And so many people don't know how to get out of that trap. They know that they don't like the feeling of it, but they can't get out of it for more than a day or so um, before they fall back in. And I think that was related to what I was going to say before that really had to do with this idea of... um I think it's hard to describe, but I do know that a lot of us, even, even in this, oh, it was related to kind of contributing to our own suffering in a way. And yeah. it, in regards to things like social media um, and things that do are intended to take and steal our attention, we give them away. We give it away willingly, give away our own power of engagement willingly. Um, yes. And often when we don't need to be, I mean, how many people I know we're doing a one on one uh, recorded conversation right now. But one thing that's such a big topic these days is the quality of online meetings between teams and businesses and, and stuff like that. And like if you have 10, 15, 20 people in a room, you know, how many of them are paying attention? They have a task at hand. There's something that should be that you're involved in, you're doing, it's part of your job. You might have a specific task you have to do within the context of that meeting or directly afterwards. But at the same time, you know, I could be holding my phone in one hand. I could have my iPad next. I could be scribbling in a notebook. I could literally be typing an essay in a Google doc, like a writing a blog in a Google doc. We literally, we literally distract ourselves from things that, that we should be doing. And it's be one of the reasons is because we have those infinite possibilities in front of us, um, you know, and and, you know, it's it's kind of crazy to think about the work that we have to do to get ourselves back to back to the center. Yeah, I I call that I call it return to analog. Mm. And uh, what you just described is exactly it. So, you know, we when 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 we were living in a time where all of this tech wasn't so accessible, you know, we, we did a pretty good job when you had to read something from a book. Yes. As opposed to read something from a screen, you know, pencil and paper, it to me holds so much value in a tool for self-reg. So, having to be slow, having to go through the fine motor skill of writing. Yes. Um, which I love. And 
Yeah, I do too. Like, and the, 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 some of the people I've worked with used to give me such a hard time because I would, I would use a pencil and paper calendar. And that to me was a, a guardrail in some cases. I mean, I don't always use pencil and paper for this particular application. It was the, the right thing to do, but it forces you to say, Hey, do I really need to put that in there? Yes, it does do that. I use a paper planner in yeah, in the same way. Which, exactly what I mean. And I, I do live by my Google Calendar, but it that really is just a list of events. It's not pretty much. It's not really planning. I put them in the, I put things go in there when they're booked to know when same. things you know what I mean? You're not you, you need to know when things are happening or where you have to be at certain times, but it's not a planner. Yeah. Um and that to me is really valuable because it also inter interacts with reflection. Exactly. Um, Which I think is a big part of self-regulation, I think you would say. (laughs) Yeah, it it sure is because our synapses fire differently when we are engaging in that precise activity of uh, pencil to paper or left to right on a page reading a book instead of being on a screen. I mean, most of us on a screen skim. Yes. I I read quickly. I know that I miss points if I'm reading from a screen. Um, the process, my brain works differently when I'm reading from a from a page. I it feels good in my hand. I love being able to turn the page. You know that makes me believe. Like wonder if some of that what you're describing there of because that's totally true, right? We all do that. We think. Because we're used to seeing so much information on a screen. You don't yeah. get one article delivered to you every morning. You've got hundreds of them. I have how many newsletters and how many things on Twitter. So Correct. you're not really choosing. You're just thinking like, here's all the things that, you know, we're used to thinking I have to, we just skim everything. And I, we do also wonder a lot about, you know, the world that we're living in and now that we're moving into with automation and, you know, oh, wow. artificial intelligence, how much of a barrier is that to our ability to do really deep work and tackle hard work? Is it is it really dampening not only our desire to, because there's easier ways to get around it, but then eventually if we keep making that decision to not do the hard thing, not read deeply, not hold the book in our hands, not spend 30 minutes doing something really well or tackling something difficult, do we eventually lose the ability to do so at all? Yeah. I Isn't that a scary thought yeah. that we're losing that ability to do that? Yeah. Yikes. <laughs> Did I just bring us to a screeching halt? <laughs> we're talking yeah. about like, where, what is going on with humanity? Well, I mean, I, and I do, I, I do think it, it's pause for, for a lot of us to think, huh, is that really the way that I want this to play out? Because, you know, ev- it seems like everywhere you turn, there's some kind of article being written or new way of using X tool or Y yeah. tool or X automation, you know? So, mm-hmm. and, and I, I do think that that's, that's really why you're going to see uh, a shift back to analog in some streams a little bit more i i really believe that we're gonna we're gonna return to textbooks and books and puzzles and blocks and cards and all of those kind of tinkering things that 
Mm-hmm. That really force us to slow down. I mean, you always hear stories of the biggest, the biggest guys in tech, their own children are like learning in the forest. Like their kids yeah. are not, their kids are not in these like really fancy schools. They're in, I mean, they're a different kind of fancy school, but they're like really going, going old school with everything. Um, and it's because yeah. they're the people closest to it and they know. I think so too. I mean, the, the guys writing the algorithms for all of our social media platforms. I'd, I'd love to have a conversation with them about like, tell me about your kids day. How did that, how does that work? Yeah. I, I, I have a pretty good feeling that their, their home lives are very different than, than ours. <laughs> Absolutely. And there's something, Absolutely. something else I've been bringing up with people lately. I'm wondering if like I've been saying this similar, a similar concept in a lot of the interviews that I've been doing. But when you do think of our home lives now, and I mean, you could think of it in a classroom, but it's more so at home where there aren't any real rules going on as far as technology. Um, but we all operate like in these little bubbles, right? And yeah. if I, you know, say there's, you know, parent, two parents and two kids, like if there's a house of four, how often do all of our little attentional bubbles interact and become one in the course of a day? And how often are like, I'm literally just imagining I'm, I'm looking in the window of a home and, and there's four people and they're all in their own technological world, wherever they are. And how often do those worlds collide and we come together and pay attention to the same thing or to each other? And that really brings me to just wanting to make sure we don't leave this conversation without addressing the loneliness piece. Yeah. I, I really think that is, is it, call it an epidemic, maybe that's too strong of a word, but I do think it's an underlying root cause of so many of the social things that we're seeing right now. Um, we've, we've built this false sense of community through our screens. Mm-hmm. And um, we're trying to replace what we used to get through these other online portals or groups or whether it be gaming or whether it be your Facebook mommy group or whatever the sense is, I think that lost connection is really profound. It means we've lost we've lost connection to the people. So, you know, as a human, that exchange of conversation and interaction through gesturing and all of those human connectivity things we we need we're getting less and less of. And um, I think also, I, I think people are so filled with worry right now, too, because of the state of the future, the economy. Mm-hmm. There, there, There's a lot of things to be worried for, worried about. The other really interesting thing that uh, I read recently, our, our houses are bigger than they have ever been before. Mm-hmm. I read that too somewhere. And that has potential to be a contributing factor to our disconnection slash loneliness. Because, you know, I mean, I don't know about you, but I grew up in in Northern Ontario as a kid. And I think we lived in a 1,200 square foot bungalow for a family of four. Yeah, Properties now, at least here in the, the nation's capital where I am, oh my gosh, they're massive. So you have... 
kids and family, kids and adults on different floors. Mm-hmm, that's Back what I'm what you were saying. Yeah, yeah. like about the, all those different silos and different bubbles, you know. Um, yeah, and then you put all their on different floors, different rooms, um, and then cool. you put them on their devices and that just really, really deepens that that loss of connection. Yeah, I I, I think it was Dr. Jody Carrington where I read that. If if you don't know her, she's a Canadian psychologist out of Alberta. She's as smart as a whip and really sassy, which is why I like her. <laughs> uh, she doesn't sugarcoat anything. And that's where I read that, that she she argues the vastness of our homes is contributing to disconnection and uh, all of those sad things for our kids and, and the grownups too, right? Really fascinating conversation. And I think we often don't know, also relates to so much of what we were talking about earlier too, about going through our days completely frazzled and not being able to catch up. But I think when we're in those situations of even in our own home being disconnected from our family members, I don't think we know how to place or name or understand like whatever it is that we're feeling about that, like whatever disc, disc, if it's disconnect or discontentment, like I don't know if I'm sure it varies like drastically from home to home, but I think in general, in general, we're not really um, dealing with that, that issue of, you know, we hear about loneliness, but we're not thinking about what does it mean for the family structure? Mm -hmm. I think you're, I think you're onto something there because we're so complacent with it. Mm Mm-hmm. It's just become something that we sort of like, oh, yeah, well, you know, we're accepting it because it's just the way it is. But is it the way that it needs to be? I don't think so. I I really think that that's going to come to the forefront in the next few years about, you know, and again, you know, I think the lines between loneliness, depression, anxiety, it's all so messy. Yes. But all of it has to do with our environment. Mm-hmm. A lot of it has to do with our environment and uh, connection or lack thereof. So I'm fascinated by that topic. I really oh, am. me too. It's one of my, I, I mean, I could do a two-hour episode on just that. It's something I've been deeply interested in for years now. Uh, yeah. And, and loneliness in general. But then when you do add our our connected, our, you know, quote-unquote connected world to it, that adds so many more layers to this to the crazy puzzle and um and i and i did like thinking what you said before about uh losing that the community sense from that we would have had you know 20 30 years ago and beyond you know i keep thinking about the family in the bubbles now and that sense of not knowing what each of us is doing and thinking and like just putting away like popping those individual bubbles and coming together as one and seeing that there is a group and a community in front of you and then walking outside your house with those people and meeting other people from other like it's like we're describing something so basic but it's legitimately coming together as actual human beings and living with one another and you know it it's so important and i think that just like you're talking about this return to analog, I just have this feeling that we're going to have a real pull very, very soon. And it's starting now towards those in-person community events, um, uh-huh. community gatherings. Like how can we, because we know that kids are feeling it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Especially coming out of the pandemic, we know that they're feeling that they there is something not right. And I and I think that because we haven't been gathering, or we've been segregated in our silos in our big uh-huh. properties, it that it circles back to the lack of people's ability to self-regulate because we we've lost those models of what yes. being able to self-regulate your emotions might look like. So, you know, uh, think about getting some upsetting news. Are you hiding in your master bedroom away from your right. kids? Years ago, we would all sort of huddle around one another. We had and, to face it together. And be together mm-hmm. and model what it looked like to grieve or suffer a loss or hear bad news or you know, be able to process that. So I, I think that I think you're right, that that ability to come together and model what that looks like feels like kind of shoulder to shoulder. I, I think we're headed back towards that place. Yeah, I love that you're connecting all of that to modeling and watching each other and learning from each other. That is something I wasn't really it's a layer to it that I wasn't really thinking about. But that's so important. And and also bringing it back to self-regulation and our, when we talked about the difference between regulation and control at the beginning, if you were to kind of, I'm just kind of wondering this out loud, like the idea of all of us having devices that can distract us from these important things, from the hard things, from the conversations with the people in front of us, um, yeah. and not just devices, but any number of things that we can kind of jump into a virtual world with and forget that we are alive yeah. in this world. I'm wondering if you would place a difference, like wh- what part of that is self-control? Is the control part the not physically using the device and the regulation part is is more like the awareness of what it's doing to you emotionally? Like, I, like where would, I don't know, would you, how would you separate them there? I don't really know. That that it's ability hard. to manage it, I think, is yeah. really what I'm more interested in. Okay. Is we we're often using the de- the the device incorrectly, or we're using access to the community within the device incorrectly. Mm. So I'll give you an example of what I mean. Back to our let's let's stick with the idea of hearing really difficult news. Okay. Okay. Let's say you hear something terrible that a relative has just had a really ugly diagnosis mm-hmm. for a disease. Normally, we would try to process that information on our own. We would absorb it, maybe reflect on it, talk with your family, talk with your close loved ones. That really is a form of self-regulation when you are talking it through elbow to elbow, trying to understand and process what it means for you. Mm-hmm. Now, we're kind of in that broadcast society where part of our processing is to share everything with everyone. So back to the you you receive upsetting news. Within four minutes, a lot of people are posting said upsetting news yeah. to whatever channel. That's so true. And for them, that's their way of managing, regulating, trying to comprehend, trying to wrap their head around and process what's happening. By making it public. By making it public. 
So we're, we're distracting ourselves with that surface level attention to soothe when in fact, I think it should be a little bit more time privately, like, oh my gosh, this is a big deal. And then we can figure out where we're going to go from there. So we're back to that speed yes. concept. And we're back to that community meaning different things for different people. Yes. And we all know that if we spe- keep speeding, like we were re- we were reflecting on earlier, and we keep soothing in that way, all we're doing is avoiding. I think so. Yeah. We're avoiding something in, in, in each of those situations. Wow. I could just keep going and going. I think we have to stop ourselves. <laughs> I think we just did a, a great job of bringing it back to our main um, question, though. And is there anything, though, that we that you want before we kind of just move into the la- last segment, our fun segment of this episode? Is there anything that you feel we left out from this conversation so far or that you want to leave people with as advice or or any kind of message from the work that you've been doing? I don't think so, Sarah. I mean, um I I can just I just want to reemphasize the importance of that whole social and emotional component. Uh-huh. I I think it's going to become the push now in the next sort of five years, um, you know, big, sort of big guiding principles for what school boards are going to tackle. Because I think what the pandemic has taught us is um, we're, we're really at a deficit now in having to figure out emotionally, socially how to function again. And, uh, I do. My my prediction is that's going to be the next big thing for the next little bit. And uh, I hope it is because it's really uh, the baseline for getting kids and, and well, kids, I'll stick with that, to be able to access their learning. So uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see where it goes. Totally agree with you. And yeah, this when by the time everyone is listening to this episode, the, what I'm about to say will already have come out because it's coming out tomorrow. But tomorrow's episode of the Optimalist podcast is that we're talking about mindfulness and incorporating mindfulness and SEL. And mm-hmm. the guest that I have does an amazing live mindfulness meditation at the end. Um, so I'm very excited for that to come out tomorrow. But oh, I love that. Yeah, it's really, really great. So um, I implore everybody to check out that episode if you have not already. And I think we're ready to jump into some fun things, Jen. This has been super awesome. Right back at you. <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. So let's get a little bit into your uh, your brain outside of all of this stuff, <laughs> although it could interact with it. I'm not sure yet what you're going to say, <laughs> but maybe you can answer any of these, as little or as many of them as you want. But can you tell us what are you reading, watching, and listening to right now? I love this question, by the way, Sarah. Cool. I love it Me because too. I was like, hmm, which direction am I going to go here? Um, so what I've decided is I, I've chosen a book. I, I'm going to ping you on a YouTube channel. I'm going to talk about some mindless Netflix <laughs> and then clue your audience into a podcast that I absolutely love. So sounds great. Uh, I, I'm not much of a reader for, um, fiction. 
most of everything that I read is typically nonfiction. It's just my wheelhouse. So uh, self-help, business, biography, I adore. And what I'm reading, again, I've, this is the second time I've read this book, is a, a book called Principles by Ray Dalio. And if you don't know uh, about Ray, he is a billionaire and the founder of Bridgewater Associates, a big investment firm. And he's written this book and he it's divided essentially into two sections, life principles and work principles. And it's just absolutely brilliantly written and so common sense mm. um, that I, I, well, I'm obviously, you know, it's round two for this text, so <laughs> it's pretty good. And then that also brings me to a little video that he created on YouTube, which is called The Changing World Order. And I don't know if you've heard of this, but he is literally anticipating the future by studying the past. So he, in this video, he's outlining the rise and fall of big nations. So everything from conflict in the economy to finance and the markets and wealth. And so it's really timely right now, given, given what's happening with the U.S. and China and the, the Brits and years ago, um, and it's just not anything I'd ever really explored in that depth before. So I think it's around 30 or 40 minutes on YouTube. Again, it's called The Changing World Order, narrated by Ray Dalio. Okay, great. We're going to put that in the show notes. We'll put all of this in the show notes, by the way, so people can access it. And then, of course, like there has to be something mindless or just fun. Of course. And uh, I love anything related to CIA. So... um <laughs> I'm watching, Todd and I just finished watching The Diplomat on Netflix. Oh, yeah. I've not watched it. If you um, haven't yet, like, it's kind of a, a mashup of uh, old school The West Wing. Mm-hmm. and I love um, The West Wing. And current day uh, drama, political. It's just, it's just brilliant. So I, I encourage people to check that out if they haven't. Um, and then the last tidbit for me is a, a podcast that I love. And in case you're not familiar, uh, it's called The Diary of a CEO. And the the host is Stephen Bartlett. Okay. So again, uh, he's got a huge YouTube channel and it's available every, anywhere where you get your podcasts. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's a marketing guy who's, you know, exited his company and he just has the most amazing guests and I absolutely adore his style of interviewing and uh, his guests are really diverse. So um, yeah, check it out. Diary, diary of the CEO. Cool. I am going to check it out. I think maybe I have heard of it, but I, yeah, I've never listened to it. I don't think. Yeah. I'm definitely going to yeah. check it out. I need, yeah, check I out. need one more podcast to listen to during the week, right? <laughs> or, or you can, you know, view it on YouTube if you don't want to just listen to it on the oh, audio. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, that's great. Those are great um, recommendations. I love it. And I love that even what you're saying is mindless is still, are still shows that are, I think, a little bit different than what most people would think of as mindless TV. <laughs> yeah, um, look, I suppose I, I'm not really like a, <laughs> romantic comedy kind of person or yeah, sci-fi but you I'm did like, remind me though now that i have been thinking about 
uh, that it's about time to start rewatching The West Wing because I have to do that every few years. It's one of my rewatches um, that I love. It's so good, right? Like, oh my old gosh. West Wing. It's just the best. Yeah. Um, so that brings us to our very last question, which brings everything back to our focal point, which is always attention and mindfulness and how we can incorporate it into our everyday lives in a sustainable way. So with that being said, what is a method for focusing or improving attention that you find actually works? Oh my God, this is such a hard question. Um, so a few <laughs> things that I try to do for me, I I have tried to set some really clear goals. So at this stage of my life, I kind of know what I want to do and what I don't want to do. So that helps. I think it's important to play as adults. Yes. In other words, um, you know, what's your version of adult recess? You know, um, I, Todd and I play a lot of golf. So for us, uh, when we travel, it's usually built around some kind of a golf opportunity someplace. Um, I'm ruthless with my time and with my calendar. I protect uh-huh. it like crazy. Yeah, that's great. I mean, sleep, diet, mm-hmm. the the usual, pretty some pretty clear boundaries. I also love. I also am a person who's quite happy to to be on my own. Me too. You know, um, uh, you know, I've I have a great group of girlfriends who are, you know, we've been friends for forty years, and lots of colleagues who are friends, and but I also just sometimes like. Hmm, Better attention comes from sometimes just being in solitude. Uh-huh. So that's maybe that's maybe what I'd kind of say. I like that. I just wrote down a couple of ideas that you're as you were saying them. But then I'm like, oh, that might be the statement that I that I actually pull forward from this. But I also love adult the thing about adult play. When I was yeah. a, when I was a senior in high school, I took an elective course that was a brand new course that year, and. The, so I was the first group of students taking it and the entire purpose of it, what was it called? It was called like, um, I don't, it was like the creative spirit or something like that, which you wouldn't even, the, the title nice. of the class doesn't even really indicate what it was, but it essentially was like, Hey, everybody, you're 18 years old. You're about to leave this like, cocoon of school and go out into whatever path you're going to next. And we want you to not forget that you can still do some of the things that you loved as a kid when you are no longer actually a child. And so it was about taking the creative experiences that adults often associate with leaving behind in childhood and learning how to cultivate them for yourself as you grow up. Um, It was like, you would never believe that it was a, it was so cool. And we would, sounds awesome. Yeah. We would, th- we would read articles about, you know, and this was so long ago. Now I think it's commonplace to hear of, um, not maybe commonplace, but more common to hear of adults going to like an adult sleepaway camp or something like that, <laughs> or like a weekend where they do like, like, like different kind of outdoor activities to get, like, it's not as uncommon now, um, that people yeah. do like meetup groups, but you know, back then it was like, strange to see like they were they were you know we would we would read things about people that were purposely building in those experiences into their adult lives in their 30s and 40s and that was the idea was like you're leaving school behind but you need to take 
take these versions of play into your adult lives and that to, to be, to have a healthy relationship with it. So no, I just wanted I to share that. <laughs> I think that's so awesome and so important, you know, especially as we head into whatever the next bunch of years is going to present for us mm -hmm. is, uh, you know, it's time to just be silly and goofy and let it all kind of, you know, park it all for um, an afternoon or exactly. a, a weekend or whatever it is, you know, whether it's a concert or a sport or uh, music or whatever it is, you know, I think it's just a little, one of the things he would ask us was the teacher would ask us stuff like uh, he'd bring up weird, silly scenarios that like you would see a bunch of 11th graders just run into a field screaming like and pretending that they're like hunting or something like they were just like just pretending and they're like would you do that when you're 25 would you right. just run into a field with your friends and just go ah right and people are like no i wouldn't do like he's he just asked why right and just would bring why? up scenarios that seem kind of dumb but they're not like they're just little things you don't think about when you're a kid and you'd be like well why wouldn't you do that when you're 25 of course, just, you know, so, so that, yeah, I, I, we can leave that subject behind, but I just wanted to bring that up because I think it's so interesting. <laughs> really interesting. Okay, Jen, I have taken up so much of your time. Um, the last thing before we go is I want you to tell people where they can follow you or find you um, or learn about you anywhere on the internet that you would like them to. Thank you for that. So my, uh, I'm, I'm most active on Twitter, I would say in terms of those social channels. So I, my handle is at Jen underscore Shirley on Twitter. Also, that's mirrored over to Instagram, which is uh, Jen Shirley Consult. Okay. And then, of course, um, my website is just simply my name, www.jenshirley.com. Perfect. And we'll put all of those links to everybody in the notes as well. And yeah. I I think uh, that's that's a wrap here. And it has been so awesome to talk to you finally. And right back at you, Sarah. <laughs> this was really fun, really fun. And I'm sure we could do it again for another couple hours um, when we do yeah. the loneliness episode coming soon. Oh, interesting, <laughs> interesting. Yeah. I was really looking forward to talking to Jen on the podcast because I knew she was going to be a refreshing voice that we all would benefit from hearing. But after recording it, I realized that I also hope the true conversational style of this week's episode can stand as a model for exploration and communication. Let me know what you think. You can leave a comment on Substack, a review in Apple Podcasts, and you can reach me on Twitter at scandela 9 you can listen and subscribe to the Optimalist podcast wherever you love listening to great podcasts. New episodes are released every Wednesday and links to all of these resources are available in the show notes. The Optimalist podcast is brought to you by Focusable, the only app that gives you the pulse you need for better attention. And it's free. Create an account today at getfocusable.com or by downloading Focusable on any iOS or Android device. You can also follow us at Get Focusable on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening to The Optimalist. I'll see you next week. Stay focused.